If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And if you could open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 21. This is going to be our last message in our series on the book of Judges. Seeing Christ in all of Scripture is our series, and we're in the book of Judges. And we're looking at Judges chapter 21. We're going to look at the last verse of the book of Judges as we move into this message entitled Judges for Today. One of the things that is a real conviction here in the life of our church is that the Word of God is living and active. Even though the Word here in the book of Judges was written uh, back in 1000 B.C. under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the prophet Samuel, It's got tremendous relevance here in 2019. So the Word of God is ever-living, ever-relevant. That's why one of the burdens uh, that we have is we want to make sure that you fall in love with all of Scripture, that you would love not just your New Testament, but you would love your Old Testament as well, and that you would read God's Word in the book of Judges or in the Minor Prophets or wherever you're at in Scripture and, and see that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you in a very relevant way into your own life and into your own heart from words that were penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 3,000 years ago. It's a pretty amazing thing to think of how living and active God's Word is and how relevant The book of Judges is to our day here in America in 2019 and in our world today. And so that's one of the reasons why I want to have this message entitled Judges for Today and look at applications, firstly, into our world, and secondly, into our own hearts. And then finally, we're going to look at the last point, Christ, the only effectual Savior, and King. So we're going to look at the world, we're going to look at our own hearts, and we're going to look at Christ, the only effectual Savior and King. Let's read in Scripture in Judges chapter 21. We're going to read one verse today, and that's verse 25. Let's read God's Word together. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I pray that we would be powerfully impacted by your word today and how relevant your word always is to our lives. God, I pray that you would protect any of us from ever feeling like your word is irrelevant to our lives today. There's lies from the enemy that would want to speak and say that your word is is boring or not relevant to us. I pray, God, that you would crush those lies and you would help us to see, Lord, that your word is living an act of truth. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's it's able to pierce our heart and we, we need it. We need to feed on it. We need our spiritual appetites nourished by your word of truth today. So feed us and strengthen us and nourish us and Holy Spirit, would you empower us 
to love and believe in Christ more strongly, to see our need for Christ more strongly. And I pray that we would be given grace to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus as our Savior and as our King. And I ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's look and apply the book of Judges first to our world today. And the book of Judges repeatedly here in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, the same phrase is used. And then in Judges 21, 25, we see it again. Samuel is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking to the people of Israel that in those days during the times of the Judges, there was no king in Israel. And so there was this expectation that, and this sense of what is needed is for there to be an earthly king who would come and who would reign and who would bring order out of the chaos. Because in these days here, there was no king in Israel. And so Judges sort of anticipates the coming of King David. And it builds an anticipation for King David to come where his reign would gather all of Israel together. There would be no divisions amongst the people. And, and, and then there would be order out from the chaos of sin. That was Samuel's intention, but what we see is even under the reign of King David, a man after God's own heart, as powerful and as beautiful as that reign was. It was a reign that didn't last, and ultimately God's people, through the times of the other kings that followed him, degenerated once again into sin and rebellion against the Lord. And what's needed is a a true king, a once and for all time king, a permanent king to come. So ultimately, this book, the book of Judges, anticipates not just the need for the coming of King David, but, brothers and sisters, the once and future king and the once for all time savior, Jesus Christ. The judges were many saviors, if you will, these men and these women who helped to bring rule and order into Israel during the time of the judges from about 1370 BC all the way down to 1070 BC. The book of Judges covers about 300 years of Israel's history. And after Joshua's death, we see that very quickly God's people let go of God's rule and God's reign and they degenerate into chaos and sin and rebellion against God in and amongst the Canaanites. Instead of being a light to the Canaanites, they actually are influenced by the Canaanites and their false gods, and they begin to turn away from worshiping the God of Israel and begin to worship the false gods of the land of Canaan. And they bring judgment upon themselves, and God acts in his anger to bring oppression by these Canaanites into the lives of the Israelites, even while they're still dwelling in their own promised land. And God's people go through a cycle throughout the book of Judges again and again and again where it just says repeatedly throughout the chapters, once again Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and God brought oppression from different Canaanite nations and it brought Israel to their knees in desperation as they were oppressed and in bondage to these nations. That's what sin does. It oppresses us. It brings us into bondage that we can't break free from, but What's so glorious about our God, brothers and sisters, and we see it time and time again in the book of Judges, is that again and again, God comes after their repeated rebellions 
And he comes in mercy. He comes in grace. And he raises up these many saviors, if you will. All the way from Othniel, the first judge, all the way to Samson, the, the last judge recorded here in the book of Judges. To come in. They were military deliverers. They delivered God's people out from oppressive rule through military power and military might. But there was also a spiritual leadership that these many saviors did in helping to return the people of Israel to the worship of God. But that only lasted temporarily. And once again, yet again, they would tumble back down into sin. One of the themes we see is God in his persistent mercy, brothers and sisters, We've got to look at this and just take it into our hearts and drink it down deep that God is not only merciful, but he is repetitively merciful to us. When you think of the sins that you and I struggle with in our remaining indwelling sin, in our battles with sin every day, even as believers in Christ, think about how repetitious it is. Think about how the patterns that you dealt with, some of you 20, 30 years ago, are still a daily battle now today, and God has never given up on you. At times when you've hardened your heart and you've persisted in sin, God has come down hard upon you. You have felt the fatherly discipline of the Lord, bringing you down into desperation like the people of Israel during the times of Judges, to where you cry out in desperation and say, God, forgive me for the way that I haven't been following you. And the Lord, He just quickly forgives you and cleanses you and restores you and lifts your head again and again and again. Why is God so awesome and so merciful and so kind like this? Oh, He's so awesome. He's so wonderful. And that truth is relevant because God never changes. The same God that was merciful again and again and delivered his people again and again during the times of the judges is the same God who delivers us again and again and again from the battles that we wage, brothers and sisters. And so take heart today that in the midst of your battles, spiritually, God is on your side. He fights for you. And he loves you as his child. And though the fatherly displeasure of our God might come in times when we are persistent or stubborn in our rebellion and God will bring discipline to soften our hardened hearts, He does it as a father who loves His son. A father who loves His daughter. Even as He loves His people Israel with a steadfast love. There's persistent and repetitious mercy brothers and sisters here it's not just once and done christ saves you but if your journey's been anything like mine again and again i've got to fall on my knees at the foot of the cross because the battle with remaining indwelling sin is fierce and our god is with us and he never leaves us or forsakes us amen And He's always there to help us and to restore us once again. So the judges were many saviors, but what you see in the midst of it is, where is a Savior with a capital S who can deliver us once and for all out from oppression? Where is this judge? Where is this Savior? And it anticipates 
the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes, and like Tom led us in worship during the call to worship, who crossed that great divide and covered that great distance from heaven to earth to come down and take on flesh to save us out from the oppression of Satan, out from the oppression of judgment and death and our sin. God is so good to give us the once and for all time Savior and the once and for all time King. I love how this verse says, in those days there was no King in Israel. And there's this, there's this anticipation for this longing for a rule from a king who would rule and govern justly. A rule from a king whose reign will never end. A rule from a king who's the king of kings and lord of lords. So Judges points forward to the need for Jesus and it points forward to the reality that God is going to send as he promised in Genesis. The seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. This capital S Savior and this capital K King of Kings. Oh, brothers and sisters, take heart this morning. Take heart. Because our immutable, unchanging God, who is so faithful to his people in this book, is the same God who is faithful to us today, and he will never fail us. And he will never fail you. So apply that, as Jason said as well, at the ministry mic this morning. Breathe that in, brothers and sisters. Embrace and receive that truth. And let it bring comfort to your heart this morning that though you and I are unfaithful, God remains ever faithful and perpetually merciful and gracious and loving with a steadfast love, even when our love is not steadfast toward Him. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And hallelujah, what a King. I love Him, don't you? Don't you guys love our precious Savior, Jesus Christ? He's awesome. He's, as Judges chapter 13 says, when we hit Judges 13, when the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, Jesus Christ, in his pre-incarnate glorious state, comes before Manoah and his wife Samson's mom and dad and reveals himself and says that his name is wonderful. It is beyond comprehension. He is a wonderful Savior, a wonderful King. Worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our followership and our wholehearted devotion. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. There's applications from this last verse into our world today. In, their day, in these days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The Canaanites did what was right in their own eyes. And sadly, what's so tragic about the book of Judges is again and again, God's people, instead of living under God's rule and God's reign, they did what was right in their own eyes. 
And I think if you had a motto for our culture today, I don't think you would go wrong to put this phrase as a motto to describe our generation in America here today in 2019. How does the world live in America in 2019? Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. That's the world. And this phrase remains ever relevant. And when we live doing what is right in our own eyes rather than God's, there is chaos and there is destruction. And the book of Judges talks about and displays again and again the consequences that come from everyone doing what is right in their own eyes and not what is right in God's. And so part of the appeal, brothers and sisters, is to see the effects of living, doing what is right in your own eyes, see the chaos, see the destruction, And all of us fear the Lord and turn away from that path and say, I'm not going to live doing what is right in my own eyes. As for me and my house, we are going to live by the grace of God doing what is right in God's eyes. We are going to live doing what God's word says and not what my feelings and my impulses and my inclinations dictate. There's the old mantra, follow your heart. But when you're a sinner, to follow your heart means you're just going to follow what feels good to you and feels right to you. And sin doesn't always come towards you feeling wrong. Satan is an angel of light. And often when sin and temptation is before us, we want to do it because it's pleasurable. We want to do it because it seems right in our eyes. So left to our own devices without the power of the Holy Spirit saving us and transforming us and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, it's very natural for us as fallen sinners to do what is right in our own eyes. Eve did what was right in her own eyes and so did Adam when they fell in the garden. And this motto comes up to our present day in 2019 that today in America, right here, right now, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes in the culture And so we've got to live following Christ in the midst of a culture where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And we've got to walk against that current. So our walking isn't going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to be a Christian. That's a relevant application from the book of Judges today. It wasn't easy for the Israelites to dwell in the midst of the Canaanites. And yet, they did. We are called to live in this world, but not of this world. We are not to live like the Canaanites. We are not to live like the world around us. We are to do what is right in God's eyes. We are to bring our lives under the authority of the Word of God, brothers and sisters, and under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And in that way, we come out from the world and are separate from them, like the book of Corinthians calls us to. Come out from them and be separate is the call for the Christian in relation to the world. In the book of Judges, we see what happens when God's people don't come out from the world and be separate from them. We get infected. 
and the infection grows and can eventually lead to the types of degeneration spiritually like the last four chapters of the book of Judges displayed to us. We are, as Romans 12 says, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's a relevant application from Judges for today. We are to be transformed, Romans 12 says, by the renewing of our minds by Holy Scripture. So we are not to be conformed, but we are to be transformed by the Word. So once again, it's a choice for each and every one of us in here. Are we going to live every one of us doing what is right in our own eyes? Or are we going to live every one of us doing what is right in God's eyes through the Word? What will that be for you? What will be will that be for me today? Friends, it's something that we must really take seriously because the consequences of turning away from the Word and turning away from the kingship of Christ to follow our own way brings destruction temporally and also eternally. It's a very serious consequence when we allow the world to conform us to its desires and its mandates and its dictates. We really are in a battle. Friendship with the world is enmity with God, Scripture says. And so, as we look out into the world, and we see them doing what is right in their own eyes, let us go against the current by the grace of God and see how dangerous living that way is. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. You have this happening here in Judges, but then I remember in the book of Corinthians, the early church was in the midst of the city of Corinth. And in the Corinthian culture, their motto can be seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Where the word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. In a section dealing with fleeing from sexual immorality, the word of God says that their motto, the Corinthians, was all things are lawful for me. Or as the NIV translates that, Everything's permissible. Again, another motto for our world around us. Everything's permissible. Everything's to be tolerated. Everything is all good. That's more of our current understanding and motto. And I'd like for you to read with me 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1, where the word says, Let's begin in verse 9. Do you not know, listen carefully, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then I love verse 11. It's talking about the church. Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul says, and such were some of you. Key operative word there there is were. 
There were people in the Corinthian church from all those types of sinful backgrounds who now had repented of their sins by the grace of God, were forgiven of their sins by the grace of Christ, and now were living in the midst of the church, worshipers of Christ under his kingship. Look at verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then that's where verse 12 talks about, in contrast to that, the world's perspective is, or the Corinthian perspective was, everything's permissible. All things are lawful. The Apostle Paul is hitting at a cultural motto there that is unbiblical. Everything is permissible is not a biblical motto, but it is a Corinthian cultural motto. And during the times of the judges, the motto was everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. You do what's right in your own eyes, and I'll do what's right in my own eyes, and we're good. Don't stop me from doing what is right in my own eyes, and I won't stop you from doing what is right in yours. That's the way we're going to live. That's the world. Today, we hear mottos that kind of smack like that. Mottos like, hey, you be you. You live the way you want to live. And as long as you're sincere and you're genuine and you're true to yourself, no matter what sinful lifestyle you choose to live in, it's good. Everything's permissible. It's right in your eyes. And therefore, everybody, including God, accepts it. Oh, brothers and sisters, that type of mentality, that type of green light given to people who are at the crossroads of whether or not they want to follow Jesus or follow their own sinful inclinations, to tell that person, instead of, You be Christ-like. You be holy in your conduct. Instead, the motto from our world, screaming in our ears every day, is you be you. Now listen, I want to be careful to say this. Where the phrase you be you is meant to encourage all of us to embrace every one of us in terms of just having different personalities and Embracing it in that way and celebrating people who are just different from us in terms of personality. And yes, amen. You be you. But when you be you is meant to validate unrepentant sin and to say of it, it's okay that you go on living in that lifestyle. Everyone else needs to accept it and God accepts it as well is a lie from Satan. Because you being you And me being me by nature is going to lead all of us to hell. What needs to happen is I need to be saved out from me being me and transformed into me being Christ-like. All of us as Christians are being conformed into the image of the one same Jesus Christ. My goal in my life isn't for me to be me. I'm an expert in that. My goal is to be submitted to the kingship of Christ and for me to die to myself, to die to me wanting to be me being me and to embrace 
I want to be holy. As the Lord my God is holy. And let each one of us pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews says. Brothers and sisters, we've got to recognize that everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, it marks our culture. We breathe that air every day. And if we're not careful, and if you look online, you will see believers across the, the broad church that are starting to compromise on these kinds of things. And they're starting to say, listen, it's okay for anybody to live any way they want to live and still be a believer. Brothers and sisters, you've got to recognize that when a lifestyle or when choices are not permissible, but are rather forbidden by God's word. They are not permissible in the eyes of God and will lead to judgment and damnation. And it does us no service. And it does no service to the world for believers to actually commend people for living and embracing sinful lifestyles and choices. We must recognize that it is not loving for us when someone is struggling with a temptation to go down a pathway towards sin. To say, listen, you be you. Be true to yourself. Pursue that path. That, brothers and sisters, is not loving. What is loving is to say, I, like you, am a sinner. But God has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ to deliver us out from the oppression of sin and to give us grace and power to turn away from this destructive lifestyle and this oppression from sin, to break these chains and to set you free to be something that is so glorious and so wonderful. To be like Christ is way better and infinitely better than to be yourself. Oh, brothers and sisters, may it be that we in these times are compassionate toward the lost. Let there be no self-righteousness. Let there be no mockery of unbelievers stuck in and ensnared in sin. Let there be no self-righteous indignation and self-righteous disgust towards anybody who has degenerated into sin or people who are living in sinful lifestyles. May we here at Christ Community Church be a place that makes it easy for sinners coming out of the most wicked of lifestyles to come in here, be befriended by us, so that we can preach the gospel to them, and God brings them out of that and into the light and stay forever in heaven. So often, unbelievers who are ensnared in sin, they stumble before they even get to hear the gospel. Because what they get from Christians is self-righteous indignation and moral judgment as opposed to compassion and mercy. Fellow sinner, help me. Let me help you lift you up out of that pit. Let me reach down and do everything I can. My chains are gone. I've been set free and you're in bondage. Let me do everything I can to help lift you out. To proclaim Jesus to you so that you can be set free like I've been set free. By this Savior, this King, 
who is so much better than living for the pleasures of this world. It's so much better than you walking in some sense of fulfillment at the end of your life saying, I was me. Oh, there's something so much better for your life, friend, than probing the the full depths of just you embracing yourself and your inclinations and your sinful desires and coming into full actuality with it. Let Christ break your chains. Let Christ set you free through repentance and faith in Him. And let's follow Jesus together. You have your sinful past, and I have mine. And in my eyes, mine was much wicked than yours. And I've got compassion on you. And we want you to feel like you can walk through these doors and hear the gospel with hearts of love and compassion so that your chains can be gone and you can be set free. Let that kind of compassion Let that kind of Christian love and Christ-like mercy mark our spirits, Christ Community Church, in our conversations with one another, in what we post on Facebook. Listen, it nowhere says in Ephesians chapter 5 or Galatians 5 that one of the fruits of the Spirit is ranting. Man, he's a good ranter. As Christians, we are not meant to be ranters, but weepers. Weeping over the lost going to hell. Not making fun of or making light of lifestyles and choices that people are making that are leading them to damnation. No. Oh, brothers and sisters, how will they hear unless someone's preaching to them? And how can they hear the gospel preached to them if they're stumbling over Christians who the only thing they ever get from them is self-righteous indignation? No, let us show a different way, brothers and sisters, here in Berks County, here in 2019. Let us do everything we can. As we see a culture doing everything that it's right in their own eyes, let us enter into that with compassion and see that we struggle still with that same tendency with our indwelling sin. And let's reach out and reach down to do everything we can to rescue people from the flames and to lift them up out from the pit. Amen? Oh, may God give us grace to do so. The world's going to be the world. The world's going to do what's right in its own eyes. Let's not self-righteously judge the world for doing that. That's all they can do. Let us instead enter into prayer and fasting. Let us enter into weeping. And let's do everything we can to see lost sinners brought under the rule of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. That's the way we should be. Let's apply this to our own hearts. I think it's very easy for us to look into the world and recognize the wickedness of the world. I think what's much harder for all of us is to look and see the difficulties in our in our own hearts. I'm very good at applying where culture is falling short from the Word of God and its standards, or where other believers are, or where there are deficiencies in other people. We are natural in finding where other people are weak and where other people are falling, but 
What about us? Everyone doing what is right in our own eyes. We need to look into ourselves and recognize that our lives, as Corinthians says, are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to honor God with our bodies. My body is not meant for me just to live any way I want to live with it. I am the Lord's servant, and so are you. We are children of God, bought with a price, the blood of Christ. Therefore, we should honor God with our body. Therefore, we should not do what is right in our own eyes, but we should always do what is right in the eyes of God. And when we fall short of that, and we will, and we do every day, let us repent of our sins and where we fall short of. Let us go to the foot of the cross again and ask Jesus to forgive us, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let any conformity to the pattern of this world have action from our hearts taken against it. One of the things we learned in the book of Judges, brothers and sisters, you might remember this, is how easy Israel started to compromise with small steps. They let the Canaanites be servants in their midst when God said to drive them out and destroy them. And they said, no, this is too hard. They've got the iron chariots. They've got everything else. And just, it's too much. Let's just, we'll keep them around us and we'll let them be servants around us. And so instead of obeying God's word, they compromised and took a compromise. And once they compromised, what happened was the next chapters over, we read that they fully embraced the gods of the Canaanites. We tend to overestimate our strength. There's a practical application for us in terms of our daily Christian lives. We overestimate our strength. And just by way of a point of discipleship, brothers and sisters, let us look and recognize that even the smallest instances of compromise can lead to great sins down the road. Let us be vigilant in the fight against remaining sin. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And Proverbs 16, 25 echoing that, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. We should never do what is right in our own eyes, but what is right in God's eyes. You know, back when uh, I was in college, I was leading like a Bible study for, I I was student teaching at a high school, and um, I had the opportunity to student teach high school biology class and and coach football. And as I was doing that, um, I was getting an opportunity to share the gospel with some of the uh, young men on the team, and a, a couple of the guys ended up getting saved. It was really cool, and, and we had this Bible study. And I remember I started picking them up for church on Sunday mornings, and I was picking one guy up from church, and we were kind of running a little behind. And I saw that there was this road that cut over to the main road, and I turned on it, and I went past a sign that said, one way, do not enter. I didn't see it at first, but I caught it last minute. And I went down the sign down the road, and I thought, oh, man, I'm halfway down now. It's going to be hard to do a three-point turn. We had a bigger vehicle. Let me just go to the end and, and just pass by this. And, and so I got to the stop sign, hit the turn signal, and I went to make a right, and I found out the reason why you're not allowed to go down that street. Because the road, the main road, was a big curve, and the right-hand turn was on the other side of the curve, and somebody whipping around the corner would never have time to react if you pull out on them. And that's exactly what happened. I pulled out on a vehicle. I didn't even see it happen. 
And next thing I know, we got rocked by a vehicle and we were in an accident. I got a ticket and I also had damages that I need to pay my dad back for the vehicle that he let me borrow. That was a rough day and a rough morning. I ignored signs. I ignored signposts and thought to myself in that moment, this is right in my eyes. It's a shortcut. It'll get me there faster. And I paid the price for it, brothers and sisters. It's dangerous to ignore God's word like it's dangerous to ignore street signs. And when we do, we always feel justified in why we're doing it. And that's where we need to pay careful attention to the very instance where we say, I know God's word says this, but I feel like doing it. You take that step, and then it's that much easier to take two more. And that is how sin progresses in our lives. We must take stock of that. And we must be careful. And it's important for us to recognize that one of the things we learn here too is that following Christ and coming underneath the authority of Christ and the lordship of Christ, the kingship of Christ, the apostle Paul talks about it as a daily decision. Paul says, I die daily. Jesus says, deny, your, deny yourself daily and take up the cross and follow me. There's, we tend to think sometimes about the Christian life like, I repented, I believed back then, that's done, and now I get to live my life the way I want to, doing what is right in my own eyes. And, you know, I got the word in the background of my life, but I'm making my own choices, I'm living my own way, and there's nothing really major that I need to do to die to myself. That happened when I first repented of my sins back years ago. Practically, brothers and sisters, and, and, and on the pathway of discipleship and following Jesus, it's not like that. Every single day is an opportunity and it's also a mandate for us to die to our flesh, to die to the temptation, to want to do what is right in our own eyes on a given day and say instead, God, what do you command me to do in your word? And come underneath of the kingship of Christ practically to die daily and take up the cross and follow Jesus practically. And I've got an opportunity to do that. I got family vacation coming up here in a few weeks, and we're going to, Lord willing, get a chance to get away and go to the beach for a few days. Our family's excited about that. Can't wait. But the, ch the challenge is, is I'm not leaving my indwelling sin back here with you at Reading. I'm taking it with me in the vehicle. And there is a selfish inclination in me, brothers and sisters, that when I go away on vacation, Instead of me thinking about how hard my wife has been working for the whole year and how hard my kids have been working and doing everything I can as a father and as a husband to say, hey, how can I embrace Christ-like servanthood here on vacation and lay down my life to be a blessing to my wife and kids and die to myself and the things that I want to do and the rest that I want to get in its particular forms and lay that down so that they might have rest, they might have refreshment, the temptation to want to do what is right in my own eyes is right there. And so the call, thank God that I denied myself and took up the cross yesterday. 
that fight is over. Today's I'm in the midst of. And God will give me grace as I seek his face to mortify the misdeeds of the flesh and to kill the selfish tendencies in me that doesn't want to embrace Christ-like servanthood. But rather instead wants to just, listen, I've been working hard for a whole year here too. I want to just get some time to kick back and relax. And to check out if I feel like things aren't going well in a particular day. And to not just be joyful, but to instead just kind of selfishly pull away and do what I want to do for that day. And maybe even separate or break off from the family just to get me time. And listen, when God brings that about, praise him and receive it as such. But the, the challenge is, is I fight for me time. I fight for my selfish desires and doing what is right in my own eyes to be accomplished. And every single day I've got to die daily and say, you know what, Lord? What does taking the cross up on my back look like today for my family? What does taking up the cross and following Jesus look like for my church? What does taking up the cross and dying to myself look like at work? That battle is in front of every one of us every day. I want to let you know that when we fail in it, we have an advocate before the Father. We can come before the Lord and we can repent of our selfishness and our sin and ask Him for forgiveness, as I often do, and receive the forgiveness of God as He always gives in His kindness and mercy. But I've got the inner CBUBU speaking to me in my ear all the time. And it's just about me getting mine and not serving others. But my mindset tends to be, I want everybody to serve me. No. CB, not you be you. You be Christ-like on vacation. And I hope I'll have a good report to give you <laughs> when I get back. I pray so. And sanctification is a slow process. So thankful for my patient wife and my patient kids. Still a selfish sinner even after having the chains broken, brothers and sisters. That's how insidious sin is. But you know what it also testifies to? How awesome is our Jesus that he never gives up on us despite all the selfishness and sin that we still give ourselves over to. He's always right there to pick us up again and restore our souls. Isn't he so good? Isn't he so awesome? I am to be self-controlled over my thought life, over my attitude, over my speech, and over my actions. I don't have authority to just say what I want to say when I want to say it, or think what I want to think when I want to think it, or do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that is the model and the motto of America. That is the motto of the book of Judges. It's the motto of 1 Corinthians 6. It is man struggling with sin's motto. To do and walk in what is right in our eyes rather than, no, I am going to fight to bring myself underneath of the kingship of Jesus today by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God give each and every one of us grace to do so. The final point is Christ the only effectual Savior and King. There's a lot of mini-saviors in the book of Judges, but there's none that are effectual. Nothing that sticks for good. I got good news for you. Christ, the wonderful one, 
is a savior who breaks the bonds of sin's oppression and Satan's oppression in our lives through his powerful work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that is a deliverance and that is a salvation that sticks. It doesn't need to be repeated. It doesn't need to be offered once again year after year, like Hebrews says, for a fresh sacrifice that really never took away or atoned for your sin. Christ is a Savior who dies for sin once for all for His people and forgives His people's sins and lays down His life for the sheep. And that is good news. Amen? And the good news is, as though King David was soon to come into reign and his reign was glorious. It was the high water mark of the order of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. But afterwards, it degenerated into chaos again. And we'll see that as we progress through the Old Testament. The good news is that Christ's kingship is effectual. His rule and reign is eternal and it never ends. His term never comes to an end. So not only is he our savior, but he is king overall now and forevermore. And when Jesus returns, he is going to crush every remaining oppression and every tear will be wiped away from our eyes and we will dwell in the true promised land free from oppression from the Canaanites of our indwelling sin forevermore and free from Satan's attacks and spiritual bondage and the chains which already are broken will be forever taken off of us in a way to where we will have a freedom unlike we have ever never known yet to this date. We will see Jesus in radiant glory in his wonderful majesty. We will see him face to face. We will see the wounds and the the marks that have set us free. We will see the crown upon his head. Oh, there was no king in Israel in these days. But mark you, brothers and sisters, when we get to the new heavens and new earth and we get to heaven, there will be a king. And we will enjoy King Jesus in his presence face to face as our Savior and King forever. Now, how's that for a future? We don't need to strive to fight for ourselves to get everything we want out of this life now selfishly. No, let us lay that down. Let us pick up the cross and follow Jesus knowing this, that when we die as believers in Christ, we die in the Lord and we are saved forever. And we will enter into heaven where there will be right, there will be pleasures at God's right hand forevermore, Psalm 16 says. And we will be under his glorious, wonderful, gracious, kingly reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Tom, if you and the worship band can return, let's sing about this king. Let's praise him for how awesome he is. Church, let us get our hearts right. Let's repent right now over where we see ourselves doing what is right in our own eyes instead of God's. Let us cry out to God for mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Because our perpetually merciful, repetitiously merciful God and Savior and King is here for us. We love you, Lord. Receive our worship. Let's stand, church. Oh, Almighty God, we thank you so much for sending your precious Son, Jesus, 
thank you that he is a savior who's finished work on the cross and resurrection from the dead sticks. No other savior is needed beyond you, Jesus. And thank you that we know that you are seated on the throne even right now. King of kings and Lord of lords, and we await your return with joy. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and take us home into the promised land. We can't wait for the days that are chaos-free completely. Where we will enjoy your eternal reign. When all will be finally and ultimately brought underneath your feet. King of kings and Lord of lords. You are wonderful Savior and wonderful King. And we praise you and we worship you. Can we let them know how much we love them, church, once again? Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. If anybody's not saved yet and hasn't believed in you, Lord, I pray you would open up their eyes, Holy Spirit, to believe in you and repent of their sins and come underneath of your kingly authority. Because being underneath of your kingly authority is better than all the pleasures that this this earth can deliver. Being, Being underneath of you as our Savior and as our Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, you've put more joy in our heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. There is nothing and no one like you. Following you is so worth it. Even in the midst of this world that is abandoning you. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you empower all of us in this church to hold true and hold fast. Pour out your spirit upon us, God, that we would be bold witnesses for your gospel that would snatch sinners out of the fire, that would win souls for Christ. Help us to cut against the current. Help us to fight the good fight of the faith. Help us to run the race all the way to completion and all the way across the finish line. For your glory and for your name's sake, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. Have a wonderful week. There is a college-age Bible study at the church house immediately following the service. Bring your own lunch to that. College students, high school students, singles, we'd love to have you. Led by Nate Madison, James chapter 3. So enjoy and have a wonderful, wonderful week. God bless you.